Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Today is, um, is going to be what I'm going to call a paradigm-shifting message. You know what a paradigm is? It's not, it's not 20 cents. Um, a, a paradigm is, um, is a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking. It's the way you approach a subject, a topic. Um, and I think as we get into it, you're going to recognize that what we've been, what you've always assumed is true is not always true, or how you've always approached a topic is not always the way the Word of God approaches a topic. And so as believers, we have to be willing to um, adjust our way of thinking to the truth of the Word of God. Amen? Okay. So we're going we're gonna to see that even in the things that are the closest to us, the closest to our hearts. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 19, go through verse 34. You've seen this, you've seen almost every one of these verses. My fear is that you've not seen them together. So you not, may not understand the context that this is all part of one conversation. So let's look at this right now. Verse 19, don't store, this is Jesus speaking, it's the Sermon on the Mount, he's right in the middle of it. He said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No man can, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Here's an interesting question that Jesus poses. Can, you, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothes? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make clothing. And yet Solomon, the king, the greatest and most wealthy king of Israel, in, uh, in all of his glory was not dressed as, they, as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and th tomorrow are thrown into the fire, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying what are we going to eat or drink or what are we going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God. 
above all else. Another translation says, seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously and he'll give you or add to you everything that you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring enough worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Lord, would you add understanding to the reading of your word? Help us to hear it, to understand it, and to be courageous enough and humble enough to apply it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, every year uh, around January or February, I do a message on giving. Uh, and if you've been here for, for any length of time, you'll know that's true. Uh, why do I do that? Because what we think and how we feel about money is so much a part of who we are as human beings, as Americans, and even as believers. Um, the Bible actually has an awful lot to say about money and how we handle those handle money and how money affects us. So it's impossible if we're going to believe the word, if we're going to preach the whole counsel of God, we have to talk about money or possessions. You, as a matter of fact, you can tell a lot about the maturity level of a believer by looking at uh, their attitudes about money. Now, most of the time, I will talk about giving and generosity. We'll talk about uh, tithing. We'll talk about what that is and how we do it and why we do it and all of that kind of thing. And those are good things. But this year, God just kept circling me back to Matthew 6. And the funny thing was, I, I circled back in a couple of different places, not necessarily recognizing it was all part of one big conversation. And so that's where this came from today. So we're going to broaden the conversation a little bit today. We're not just going to talk about giving per se. We're going to talk about possessions in general and have a broader conversation conversation because that affects everything that we do. So today I'm beginning a, a brand new two-part series that, that's called I Heart Treasure. All right? I Heart Treasure. Now today's message is called Treasure Test. Treasure Test. The series title and the graphic is really a play on words, and you'll, you'll understand that more as we go along. But at some level, if you just look at this and that graphic and you just sort of say it out loud, at some level it's true for every one of us. Because that statement is true no matter who you are. All of us can honestly say, I love treasure. Don't we love treasure? Now, how I define treasure and how you define treasure might be two different things, but all of us love something. We all value something. Everyone seeks something. Everyone pursues something. And in the passage that we just read, Jesus is trying to help us draw some very clear lines. He's challenging us. He's challenging our thinking. He's challenging our paradigms, if you will, about possessions. And he's going to ask us not only what is your treasure, but where is your treasure? He's going to give us a treasure test. And so we're going to talk about those three concepts here, I, heart, and treasure, and we're going to define them as Jesus defined them, and then and see how they help us apply the treasure test. So let's go ahead and dive into it. So here we go. The I, the I represents what you're looking at. Right? It's what turns your head. It's what gets your attention. You've heard people say this. Maybe you've said it yourself. That thing caught my eye. Right? That's what we're talking about here. It's what gets your attention. Your heart is what you desire. It's what you want. Have you ever heard somebody say, I've got my heart set on this thing or that thing? 
You, you want it or you desire that thing. Now, we also found out back in September through our uh, heart attacks series that our heart in the Bible, when the Bible talks about heart, it usually is referring to the inner man. And that's the mind, the will, and the emotions. The mind, the will, and the emotions. And we'll talk about how that applies to this conversation in just a second. And then your treasure, so that's eye and heart, your treasure is what you value. You don't pursue treasure that you don't think is important. You don't think it's worth it. If you've de- it's what you, your treasure is what you have determined uh, is worth your desire and your attention. To your way of thinking, it's worth pursuing it so you can obtain it. So here's, here's how it all stacks up. You'll see this graphic if you want to take those notes. Your eye is where your attention is. Your heart is what you desire. Your treasure is what you value. Okay? And you can leave that up, Leanna, for, for a little while while people take notes if they want to. So with this in mind, let's look back at the scriptures at what Jesus said in these really powerful verses. Let's talk about treasure first. Jesus draws a distinction between two different kinds of treasure. And, and these treasures differ in lots of ways, but, but especially in location. He said very clearly, don't store up treasures on earth. In other words, what you think is valuable should not be on this earth. He, he says, instead, store your treasures in heaven. What you value should be in heaven. It should be the eternal things. Now, Jesus gives some reasons for the conclusion that he drew for why we should store up our treasure in heaven and not on earth. And I want to look at those for a minute. Jesus said, when you store up your treasures on earth, then moths and rust may destroy them or thieves may break in and steal them. In other words, when what you value is on the earth, you have to worry about it. If it's on the earth, you got to worry about it. So, so you're constantly going, oh my goodness, has, has it deteriorated? Has it lost its value? Has something made it worthless? Has somebody broken in and stolen my stuff? Have they, have they taken it out of my account? Have they found my hiding place? Whatever it is, that, that, that you have to worry about it. You say, well, John, I don't know. How do you know that, God's, that Jesus is talking about worry? Because in the very next verse, after verse 24, where he says you can't serve God in money, verse 25, he says, that's why I told you not to worry. That's why I tell you not to worry. And then he talks about the earthly things that sometimes we worry about, our food, our clothing, uh, those things. So Jesus wants us to check ourselves when it comes to what we value, what we treasure, because if we treasure the things of earth, those things come with a whole lot of worry. Now, by contrast, he says, if you treasure the things in heaven, you ain't got to worry about that because God handles that. They can't be destroyed. They can't be stolen. There's no crime rate in heaven. There's no depreciation in heaven, what you've got only sits there and appreciates. It's worth more and more and more as you go along. So when we store our stuff in heaven, God protects it and God rewards it for us. There's no interest rate you're going to get on Wall Street anywhere that compares to the rewards that God offers to us when we value the things of heaven. Now, why else should you treasure uh, the things in heaven and not the things on the earth? Because of a very important principle that we know is in the Bible, our problem is sometimes we state it backwards. And so I want you to hear it forwards. 
Okay, I want you to hear what Jesus actually said. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He doesn't say you treasure what's in your heart. He said your heart follows your treasure. What you value will determine what you desire. Heart follows treasure. Whatever you treasure, wherever your treasure goes, your heart follows it. But remember what your heart is. Your heart is your mind, your will, and your emotions. So this is where the, where the rubber meets the road. So that means what you think about and what you feel and what you decide to do will be determined by what you value. Isn't that true? Well, what you think about, what you feel, and what decisions you make are determined by what you value. Now let me ask you the obvious but very, very important question. Here's the treasure chest. The tre- I knew I was going to say chest one day. Test. The treasure test is this. What do you value? What do you treasure the most? You say, well, John, I, I don't really know. I'm not sure I've ever thought of that. How can I tell? Well, if your heart follows your treasure, and your heart is your mind, your will, and your emotions, let me ask you a series of questions. What's on your mind most of the time? What are you thinking about? Is it earthly or is it heavenly? What do you do when your emotions are all out of whack? Y'all ever have one of those emotional days where you just all jacked up? And some of y'all don't? Okay. That's, uh, yeah. Um, I've had more emotionally jacked up days in the last seven years than I have in my whole life since I started pastoring. My emotions have gone haywire. Um, sometimes you're mad, sometimes you're sad, sometimes you're anxious, you're, all these things emotionally. What, what do you do when you're having one of those emotionally jacked up days? Do you turn to heavenly things for comfort and peace? Do you turn to earthly things? Do you find your comfort in prayer and in worship and in meditating on the things of the Lord? Or is it in what we call retail therapy? Is it in spending money or making money? Do you seek emotional comfort in the arms of somebody that you're not married to? Is it in a bottle? Is it on a trip or an, uh, an adventure, or a vacation, or some big, some big thing that you've always wanted to do? How do you fill in your emotional blanks? Is it heaven or earth? That, and you're just like, John, why are you picking on that? Why, why are you talking about that? Because it's an issue of the heart. It reveals your heart. It, it reveals what you desire. That's part of the treasure test. And what about when you make decisions? Everybody has, you know, the, the, the hard part about adulting is that you have to make decisions. I know kids don't realize that. They don't like to be told what they have to do. But, you know, wouldn't you adults like for like a week somebody just tell you everything so you don't have to make any decisions? Just <sighs> So when you're an adult, you have to make decisions. And, and when the hard thing about making decisions is that there are multiple Influences. There are multiple things that are coming into the conversation that you have to weigh out. But you know as well as I do, some things are more important than other things. So the question is, when you're making decisions, what do you value? What do you weight more than the other things? 
Is it about what's best for the kingdom? Is it about what's best for you and becoming more like Christ and more fruitful and effective for Christ? Or is it only about what's going to make you more money or improve your status or your, or your political image or, or your social image or, or whatever it is that you value? So what you treasure becomes clearer once you start tracing back what you feel and what you think and how you make decisions. So the obvious connection to treasure is money, right? Where and how we spend what we have. And, and here's the fact, and, and I think if you're going to be honest with yourself, you'll agree with me, your passions are revealed in your finances. That if we all sort of logged into our checking accounts, we would find out what we're passionate about. You know why so many people are passionate about sports? I'm not picking on people. I love sports too. But you know why people are so passionate about sports? Because they value them. Because they have a financial interest in those things. An investment in those things. You're like, invested in sports? Tickets. Um, the right TV package so you can see all your games. Your merchandise. Tailgating. Gambling. There are a lot of people really passionate about it because they got a lot of money invested in it. You, you know people are, are passionate about the lake or the beach or the mountains or whatever? Because they have invested a ton of time and money in those homes or those lots or those boats or whatever it is. And I'm not picking, I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm saying that that's, you know they're passionate about it because they've invested a whole ton of money in it. Your heart, your thoughts, your feelings, your decisions will follow what you value. They follow your treasure. So people say, John, I wish I could be more passionate about God. I wish I could be more passionate about the church. I just don't feel about or think about the things of God the way I do about my hobbies or my career. Well, Jesus just told us how to change that. Make it something you treasure. Make it something that you've made a priority in your finances. Make it something you invest in. Your heart will follow your treasure. See, here's the, here's the, the a fact. You don't care about it until it costs you something. You don't care about it until it costs you something. Isn't that true? Y'all don't clam up on me. You, you care, when it costs you something is to when you start worrying about it. Right? I hear about a storm at Lake Weedowie. I, I, I'll go, oh, that's, that's bad. I don't have any property at Lake Weedowie. If I had property at Lake Weedowie, I'd have it on my iPhone, on my app. I'd be watching the weather. I'd be checking and making sure all the stuff. You don't care about it until it costs you something. Okay? So Jesus told us to treasure the things of heaven, and our hearts are going to follow. That's the heart and the treasure part. What about the eye part? Well, that's what he talks about next. Remember, we said your eye represents what, what gets your attention. It's what you're looking at. It's what turns your head. So with that in mind, let's read that section again. Matthew 6, 22 and 23, Jesus said, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. That's true physically, right? When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. When your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. Now look at this. If the light that you think you have is actually darkness... How deep is that darkness? 
So if your eye is paying attention to what to the things of heaven and storing treasures there, then your body is filled with light. Not your physical body, your inner man. That means your thoughts, your feelings, your decisions will be guided by the light of Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. That's good stuff. But if what you're consistently looking at is things of the world, then Jesus said you're filling yourself with darkness. But look at what he said. It's not just darkness. It's a deceiving darkness. It's a darkness that masquerades as light. So let's look at another passage that, uh, of Jesus's, and you'll see where the deception comes from. So in this passage, we're just going to read one verse out of it. It's the parable of the sower, and he's explaining why some people hear the word of God, but they never see any fruit from it in their lives. In Matthew 13, verse 22, it says this, the seed, the seed of the word of God falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries, remember we talked about worries already and where they come from, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and make it unfruitful. Did you see that? Worry and wealth are deceiving. They're deceiving. Jesus said your eye will be deceived by worldly things because you'll think it's light, but it's really darkness. When you keep your eyes on worldly things, it's deceiving because it promises you something that it can't deliver. Because the things of the world, they feel good and they're exciting and they promise to bring you happiness or to bring you pleasure or to bring you fulfillment or to bring you excitement, but they never do, at least not in the long term. And as soon as, you, as, soon as, as you're done with it, you realize the excitement's over, the pleasure's over, then you're in pursuit of the next thing that's going to help you feel worthy or feel uh, excited or feel accepted or feel happy or feel like you finally made it or feel like you belong in a certain status. That's why Jesus said it's so deceptive. It's presented as light, but it's really darkness. It's a black hole that sucks people down into it. And, and, and sometimes it leads to complete financial ruin for some people because they can't pull themselves up. But for anybody who's caught in it, it, it's at least a distraction. It's so much that you're so distracted by the earthly things that you never get around to the spiritual things. And I am convinced more and more that this is the leading cause of the impotence of the American church. The reason we have no power, the reason we have no influence on the culture is because we're so consumed with earthly things. We never get around to the spiritual stuff. So let me ask you a question. Do you find yourself worrying about stuff a lot? Worrying about protecting what you got, holding on to what you got? Worrying about making this purchase or that investment? You may, there's nothing wrong with any of this stuff necessarily if it's in the right place. But if you're constantly worrying about it, it might be, Jesus says, it might be that you have your treasure in the wrong place. Here's maybe a more important question Do you find yourself wishing you could make a difference spiritually? Like you know the life that a Christian is supposed to lead, but you just can't seem to get any traction? You may have, according to Jesus, 
choked out the seed of the Word that's in your life with worry about stuff and the deceitfulness of wealth. John, how does that happen? Because our eyes and our hearts and our treasure is on earthly things instead of spiritual, heavenly, eternal things. Listen, I know this is, I know this is hard to hear. You ought to try saying it. It's heavy, but it's really, really important. And I want to show you how important it is. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus continues the conversation. This is the next thing he says after he talks about our eye. No one can serve two masters. For you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you treasure eternal things, you're going to desire them and pay attention to them. If you treasure earthly things, you're going to desire those and pay attention to those things. I, heart, and treasure. And this is the terrifying conclusion that Jesus draws in this conversation. And I'm, I'm going to put it on the screen so you can see it. Whoever controls what you treasure becomes your master. Whoever controls what you treasure becomes your master. Now the word that's translated money in the New Living Translation that we've been using is often translated mammon in other translations. Mammon represented a deity. It was actually a god that was worshipped uh, in, in, in several different religions. Uh, kind of a personification of money and the things that money can buy. Worldly things. And the idea was in, in those days that if you wanted to be successful in the world system, you were going to have to serve mammon as your master. But we got to get real honest with ourselves. Who is really in control of this world and the world system? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, and by implication this world system, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Blinded. Did you see the imagery there? They are unable to see the glorious light of the gospel. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ and who is the exact likeness of God. You see, when your heart is, is for the stuff of the world, then your master is money. But according to this scripture, it's not really money. It's the devil. Because he's the God of this world. That's why you can't serve God and money. You, 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 we are a little surprised when we read that, but we wouldn't be surprised if he said you can't serve God and the devil. That wouldn't surprise us at all. He's saying the same thing. You can't serve both because they are opposing masters. So listen, your eye is on the screen. Your eye and your heart and your treasure is the arrow that points to your master. If you want to know what you treasure, if you want to know who is your master, then just trace back what's in your eye, what's in your heart, and what you value most. And you'll find your master. And that's a tough truth for the American church. But I want to show it to you in the Word in, in more places. In 1 John chapter 2, look at what he says. Do not love this world. 
or the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. Listen, can I, can I tell you something real quick? We have twisted that Scripture to mean the people in the world. And so if you go to church, many churches will teach you not to interact with those people because the Bible says not to love the world. That's not what He said. It's not the people... It's the world system. How do you know? Because he said, go back to the, to the first scripture. Is that the first scripture? Go back to the first verse, the 14. Nope, I just made that up. Okay. Don't love the world or the things that it offers. He's not talking about what the people offer you. It's what the world system offers you. And so we've tricked ourselves in the American church to believe that we're supposed to avoid the people of the world, but we're certainly welcome to embrace all the world and what it has to offer. And this is, what it, this is what happens in the American church when you do that. We've forgotten who we've been sent to and we've embraced what we've been warned to stay away from. So don't love this world or the things of the world uh, for, for when you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. Look at the next scripture in um, James chapter 4. He's talking about prayer. He said, when you ask, you don't get what you want. You don't get what you ask for. You don't get what you pray for because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. And then James, always the charmer, says, you adulterers, don't you realize friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And this, so, so that's tough. That's tough. Here, here's maybe a tougher truth. When you treasure the things of the world, you will hate God by comparison. When you treasure the things of the world, you will hate God by comparison. You're like, John, where'd you come up with that? Jesus said it. He said you can't do both. You're going to love one and you'll hate the other. And if you preach this message in, in many of the pulpits, maybe most of the pulpits across America today, you'll find out real quickly which one is which in people's lives because of the anger that it arouses when you start talking about money. Because people get upset when you mess with the master. Now how do I know if I hate God by comparison? Well, you hate offering time. <laughs> you always hate that time of the service. You hate the annual giving message that I always seem to give because it'll cut into what you really treasure. You view giving to the church as an obligation. You think, man, I could really have some nice stuff if I didn't give all this money to the church. And if God does ever lay on your heart to, to give to somebody or to some cause, then you do it with clenched teeth and a closed fist because of what you think it's robbing you of. And listen, this is not a function of income or net worth. I've seen people of great wealth who, who see everything they have as tools for the kingdom of God. And at a moment's notice, if God said, give it all away, they do it. And I've seen people who don't have two nickels to rub together, but they hold them things, they, they hold on to those nickels like they're gold, like their life depends on it. I've been that person. It's a miserable place to live. And if, if the word of God is true, 
And it is. It's an ungodly place to live. You say, but John, I like nice things. Does that mean I'm of the devil? Listen, everybody likes nice things. But look at the principle of the Scripture. Take the treasure test. Does the stuff you have serve the kingdom? Or do you serve it? Can you say no to more stuff? When God says it's enough? Or when the money runs out? Can you say no to more stuff? Or does it call to you like the voice of a drug to an addict? Do you spend more time thinking about how to grow the kingdom of God and how to get closer to God than you do about how to get more stuff? Your eye is your attention and your heart's what you desire. So what are you looking at and what do you want? That's the ultimate treasure test. Now I've mentioned this before and we're almost done. I've mentioned this before over the years, but it's so meaningful to me and so practical that I want to share it again. I, I remember reading a book by Pastor Robert Morris. I believe it was called A Blessed Life, The Blessed Life. Um, I've read several of his books. I don't remember where he shared it. Um, but he talks about going through his house every year and he looks at everything of value in his house. He looks at every painting, every piece of furniture, every, every, all the decorations, his cars, even the house. Looks at everything and, and he looks at it and he thinks about how would I feel if God told me to give that away? And if he feels any sort of eh, in his spirit about it. Any sort of resistance, any sort of emotional connection he has to it, he gets rid of it because he said, that thing is after my heart. It's filling my eyes. It's potentially diverting his attention away from the things of God. And according to the scripture we read just a minute ago, stealing his love for God. So it's important. It's important. We're finishing this up. Come on, Corey. Let's, let's see how Jesus finishes the conversation. Verse 33, chapter 6. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God above everything else and live righteously and He will give or add everything that you need. Seek first. Seek first. That's how you know He's the Master. Seek Him first. He comes first. And if He comes first, He says if you treasure the things of heaven... He will protect the investment. He will reward your generosity. He will fill you with light. He will take care of your needs and you won't have to worry about it. And then you can love Him and serve Him and glorify Him and know Him and become more like Him without any distraction and without any deception. So listen, this is a lot to take in this morning. We're going to talk a little bit more about it next week. We're going to talk about what does it mean to store up treasure. How do, how do you do that? What does that even mean? But today, this is the place to start. Your eye, your heart, and your treasure. So here's the next steps. I was talking with one of the staff members this week about the message, and, and they said, well, what's the next step? What, well, you know, what do you, what, what's kind of the altar call? What's the response? And you know what? You, you hear it and you kind of want to go, I'm going to sell everything and give it to the poor and live on the street just to glorify God. That's, slow down. Don't call your realtor on the way home. Here's what you do. First of all, you reflect. 
It really That's for every message, every word of the Lord. You should reflect first. You should be really, really bare bones, honest with yourself and how your life measures up to the Word. The Holy Spirit, one of His responsibilities on the earth is to search our hearts. When we invite Him in, He'll search us and He'll, and he'll know us and He'll show us what's going on in our lives. He will lead us and guide us to truth. So reflect honestly this morning. Take that treasure test. The second thing is, most of us, if we're really honest and invite the Holy Spirit in, most of us are going to need to repent about something. So do that. Repentance is not about being sorry for getting caught. It's not about me hurting your feelings and you shedding some tears. Repentance is about accepting the new truth and committing to living that truth. And then the third thing you need to do is just start repairing. Start building your life back on the foundation of the Word of God. So I want to I give you a couple of, um, a couple of resources. Um, these are in the lobby for you to take. They're free. We're, we're just going to sew them into your life. This is called the Generosity Ladder. We've had them uh, for a while. At Nelson Searcy is the, is the author there. And then this is called the Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. Both of those are available for you in the lobby. If you haven't read them, if you don't have them, please get them and, and help yourself. And if we run out, we'll order some more. We'll have them here by next week. Okay? So we keep these here all the time, as a matter of fact, because it's important that we give and that we give for the right reasons and we give it in the right mindset. We'll talk more about that next week. But start building your life on the foundation of the Word. Why don't you stand with me today? We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.